Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we ask that you help us by your spirit, that you help us to listen, and you help us to understand and to put into practice. And Lord, please, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Recently, I read an article online that was written by a medical professional who was discussing the patterns of neglect in personal hygiene amongst adult males. And I hope that made that sound impressive because the title of the article was The Five Areas of the Body That Men Don't Wash. And, yeah, okay, it's a bit of a fluff article and a bit clickbaity, but I found myself wondering how I measured up. How did I, how did I do? Was I as bad as everybody else, or did I come out okay? And in case you're wondering, the five areas are in order. The belly button, ears, fingernails, toes, and legs. And yes, I can confirm that I wash all of these areas. At least since reading the article, <laughs> and you know, most of the time. But if that's a lighthearted look at our physical health, how about our spiritual health? And rather than individually, how are we doing corporately? Or in other words, how are we doing as a church here at Jermoyne Baptist? And we're going to try and answer that today by looking through our reading at 1 Thessalonians 5. First, and, and the, the section which is in your NIV title as Final Instructions. And if you're listening, there's a lot of instructions in this uh, particular chapter, or this particular part of the Bible. And because time for us is limited this morning, we're going to focus just on one verse. And that's 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 14, which says, And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, Encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Let's start at the top. Warn those who are idle. Well, who are the idle? See, the word here is translated in your NIV as idle is actually a Greek word and it's used to describe a soldier who is not at their post. A soldier who is AWOL, absent without leave. And so for us this morning, that's someone who isn't turning up to church. Now, there's many reasons why you may not turn up, and perhaps you've heard some of these before. I would have come to church on Sunday, but there was a birthday party last night, and it kind of kicked on for a bit afterwards. And so by the time I got home, it was the wee hours of the morning. So not being a morning person, I just couldn't get myself out of bed. Or perhaps this one. I have an important client who has an urgent deadline that they must meet. I had to go into the office on Sunday to make sure they're on track. Or perhaps this one. Sunday is when our family gets together and we have a lunch. And it's a big family, which means a lot of food and a lot of preparation. So I just can't find the time to get to church on Sunday morning. So then, are we the kind of church that warns those who are idle or do we pass judgment instead? 
And to explain, consider what it's like when a policeman pulls you over for speeding. Now, he may let you go with a warning, or he may give you a ticket along with the fine and demerit points that come with it. Now, in the first instance, the warning was given, but in the second one, based on the evidence before him, he has passed judgment and given you the ticket. Now, that's okay because a policeman has the authority to do this. That's his job description. But for us, the instruction is only to warn. So, when we were thinking of those reasons I gave for not coming to church, did you realise that none of those reasons are actually evil? In fact, the pursuit of a healthy social life, a healthy family life, and a healthy career, these are things we would consider good. However, they are temporary things. Your career is only going to last you until you retire. Your social life will slow down as you get older and settle down, and your family life will last a lifetime at best. But your soul, your spirit, it persists for eternity. And to neglect your spiritual health for the sake of these temporary things is cause for great concern. You see, church is really a foretaste of heaven here on earth. Do you remember the description of heaven in Revelation where there's a great multitude of people gathered before the throne from every tribe, nation and language? And they're there to bring glory, praise and honour to the one who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. Well, take a look around you this morning and you will notice people from different ages, of different vocations, of different stages of life or, or relationship status, from different backgrounds and with different interests. Yet we are all here for the express purpose that we might bring glory and honour to the Lamb. The same as heaven. We shouldn't be neglecting this for the sake of other things. And beyond that, we are going to hear from God's word, as we always do on a Sunday here. And God's word is able to admonish, to instruct, to rebuke, and to equip you for every good work. It is still the main source of nourishment for your soul, for your spiritual growth. And beyond that, in our conversations afterwards, we get the chance to share with each other our walk with the Lord. And so we encourage one another and sharpen each other just as iron sharpens iron. Therefore, brothers and sisters, excuse me, <clears throat> warn those who are idle. Our next instruction, encourage the timid. Okay, so who are the timid? Well, that word is also translated in our King James Version as faint-hearted. Now, the Thessalonians had good reason to be faint-hearted. If you read through the earlier chapters of this book, you'll note that they've been subject to prolonged persecution at the hands of the federal citizens. And also, there's been some unexpected deaths amongst their congregation. And so they're in mourning and they're under persecution. And that has the effect of wearing them out and making them timid or faint-hearted. 
In fact, I put it to you that any trial, any ordeal or adversity that you're facing can make you feel weary and worn out or burdened and as a result become faint-hearted. It's hard to see what God's purpose and plan is. So then, are we the kind of church that encourages the timid or do we belittle or rebuke instead? And that might seem a strange thing to say, but this often happens despite our best intentions. See, if someone was to come to you and share with you a particular trial that they're struggling with, our natural response is to sympathise and then share with them a trial ordeal that we went through and how the Lord worked through that. And that can be an encouragement, but we need to be a little bit careful because we are looking back at, a tri- at our trial and hindsight is 2020 vision. We can see what God's plan and purpose was because we've come out the other end and we've forgotten what it felt like to be in the middle of that struggle. But this is exactly where the other person is. They're in the middle of that struggle. And so they might take your words as a rebuke, that they shouldn't be feeling bad under a trial or worn out or burdened, but we know that's how we feel when we're under trial. Or worse, that the reason they're feeling so bad is because of their lack of faith. This isn't an encouragement. If we want to encourage, we should take them to where we get our encouragement from. Where's our encouragement come from? It comes from God. So take them there in prayer, right away, out loud. See, prayer is a wonderful thing. God knows what we need before we ask him. And he knows how to give good gifts. If we ask him for bread, he doesn't give us a stone. If we ask him for fish, he doesn't give us a snake. And beyond that, the spirit itself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. So if you're a bit self-conscious about having to pray for someone out loud, then I suggest that you pray this prayer. Dear Lord, please help. And God will hear your prayer and God will answer your prayer. And that is an encouragement for the person who is struggling, for the timid and faint-hearted. But don't stop. Continue to pray for them. Contact them during the week and let them know you're still praying. And as James says, don't just pray. Try and help them practically if you can. Brothers and sisters, encourage the timid. Our next instruction, help the weak. Who are the weak? Well, this one we all understand. We know what weakness means. But I put it to you that all of us are weak in the same way. And to explain that, I'm going to use a quote from Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night of his betrayal. If you remember, he took his three closest disciples, John, James and Peter, with him further into the garden. And he tells them this from Matthew chapter 26. Watch and pray that you do not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. 
So we are all weak in the face of temptation. But this weakness is comparative. Like all weakness is comparative. For example, if I was to compare myself physically with a young child, I could confidently say that they are the weaker one. But if I was to ask some of the younger men in the church how much they can bench press, then the tables have turned and now I'm the weak one. And it's the same in the face of temptation. Given a particular temptation, one person may have a, a struggle with it, maybe an issue they've had for quite some time. Yet for another, it's like water off a duck's back. They might even not even consider it to be a temptation. It's never really been a problem for them. But change the temptation and you might find those roles are reversed. The first no longer has a struggle, but the second now does. So then, are we the kind of church that helps the weak? Or do we hinder or ignore instead? Now, there are many ways in which we can hinder, but one particular way for us corporately is in our conversations after church. Do we talk about spiritual things together when a service is finished? Our walk with the Lord? What we've read during the week? Any answers to prayer? Any questions or comments you might have about the service itself? Or instead, do our conversations turn to earthly things? What did you do in the last week? How's your job going? Did you go and see that latest movie? Or let's talk about the sport results. These things don't help, they hinder. If when we're corporately together we find it difficult to talk about our walk with the Lord, then where exactly are we going to find it easy? And then to ignore, uh, that's a little more subtle, but can be quite insidious. Uh, consider the case where someone came to you and confessed to you a struggle they had with a particular sin. How do you treat that person from that point forward? Do you want to pretend the conversation never happened and just treat them like you normally would? Or do you now go, I'm going to engineer some way socially in which I don't need to speak to you. I'll sit in a different place in church. I'll surround myself with my friends. I'll start excluding you from the kind of social activities we would normally do. And you might say, no, we'd never do that. Well, I'll put it to you. If someone shared with you a struggle that you found particularly abhorrent or vile or disgusting, think about how you might treat them. If you want to help instead, we first need to point them to Christ. We need to remind them that their sins are forgiven in Christ and if sin is present around this temptation, that they need to confess and come to him in repentance. So we all have this very good habit of being just like our father, Adam. Do you remember in the garden after he'd eaten the fruit? When he heard the Lord God walking in, in the garden in the cool of the afternoon? He was ashamed. And so he hid. And we're the same. When we know we've sinned, when we know we're struggling, we tend to hide. Bring them there first to know that sins are forgiven if you confess and repent. And then point them to the promises around temptation. We are promised that we are not tempted beyond what we can bear, that we are only tempted with what is common to man. 
and that God provides a way out under temptation. And if you're able, try and identify the situations which bring around this temptation. Is it a particular place or a particular time or a particular person that makes this temptation difficult to resist? It could be a combination of the three. And if possible, see what way you could be out of that situation. And if you're completely unsure how to help, well, it turns out we have a pretty decent library here at Drummond Baptist Church, and we have an excellent librarian. So if you need some information on some literature that may help you, I'm certain he can point you to the right place. Brothers and sisters, help the weak. And our final instruction is be patient with everyone. Why? Well, because God is patient with us. Do you remember how we opened the service this morning? We read from Psalm 103 and verse 8, which says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. Is there a better definition of patience than being slow to anger? God is patient with everyone. Yes, everyone. In the same way, he is compassionate and gracious and abounding in love to everyone. However, there is a difference in his patience towards those who are his and those who are not. And in order to understand the difference, I'm going to ask you if you can turn back to Psalm chapter 2. Keep your finger in Thessalonians because we will return. Psalm chapter 2, which Marshall read out to us earlier. If you're in the church Bible, it's on page 532. And we're going to go through this psalm quickly to try and work out what God's patience looks like for those who are not his. Psalm chapter 2 and from the beginning. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. This is our default position. We are by very nature rebels. We don't submit to God's reign and his rule. It's our life. We'll do it our way, thank you. We all want to live lives for ourselves. But what is God's response? Let's read from verse 4. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. God gets angry. See, being slow to anger is not the same as never being angry. He gets angry with those who are rebellious to him. And then he proves his point and proves his sovereignty by putting in place his king. Well, who is this king? Who is this anointed one? Let's read from verse 7. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. 
It's his son who is the king. It's Jesus who is the anointed one. And what is he king over? Verse 8. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. He's king of everything. There is nothing that is not subject to him. But what kind of king will he be? Verse 9. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. He is a just king, an avenging king, and he will punish those who stay rebellious. And his punishment, it's brutal. It's devastating. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. They're broken beyond repair. So what should we do in response to this? Verse 10. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. We need to stop in our rebellious ways and start and serve the king. And that process of stopping what you are doing and serving him instead is what we know as repentance. We need to stop doing what we're doing in the past, living life our own way, and come under his laws, his ways, and his right to rule. But is repentance enough? Let's keep reading. Verse 12. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. You need to make peace with the son. You have to accept that he is the king, that it's his right to rule, and not just the king, the king of kings and the lord of lords. And you need to do it while you still can, while his patience remains. Now you may say to me, well, this doesn't sound like a patient God, one whose wrath can flare up in a moment. One who would dash them to pieces like pottery? One who rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath? But the proof of God's patience is very simple. It starts with a deep breath. (sighs) I'm sorry, you're... You're still here. Your heart is still beating. You've been conscious during that little pause. You've since taken another breath. This is God's patience with you. You are not being treated as your sins deserve, nor being repaid according to your iniquities. While his patience remains, come in repentance and faith. But you may say, all you've given me now is an ultimatum. It's repent and believe or be destroyed. And yes, it's true. There is an ultimatum here. But the psalm doesn't end with a threat, but with a promise. 
Let's read again from verse 12. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Coming in repentance and faith means the blessing of sins forgiven, the blessing of guilt removed, of punishment paid for, of adoption as sons and daughters of the living God and as citizens of heaven, the blessing of life everlasting, and the blessing of a change in God's patience towards you. Because his patience with those who are his is very different to those who are not. And in order to understand that, we're going to come back to 1 Thessalonians 5. If you've kept your thumb in your Bible, if you've lost your place, it's on page 1171 of the church Bibles. 1 Thessalonians 5 again. But this time, we're going to read verse 23, which says this. May God himself the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the word there, sanctify, means to make holy. And sanctification is the process of making you holy. That is, we are being shaped, moulded, or conformed into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. And this is a process which is going to last you your entire life. We are never going to be holy while we're here on earth, but the, the work of making us more like his son doesn't stop. God continues patiently to conform us to his son. And if you're looking for proof of his patience here, then look back to around the time where you made your decision to follow Christ, when you were converted. And then think back to the time before that, how you used to think, the things you used to do and say, where you spent your time, what you thought was important, what your priorities were, and compare what it was like then with where you are now. And you will see... It's very different. And that process from getting where you were to where you are now has not been a, a blink of an eye. It's been a patient process as he works in you. He is making you more like his son. But that's only half of God's patience. For the other half, think back again to the time around your conversion. But this time, think about all the times since that you fell short. Think of all the rotten things that you've done, the horrible things that you've said, and the worst things that you thought. If you're anything like me, you don't have to look back too far. But God's patience with you does not come to an end. In order to explain this, I'm going to give this to you in the negative. So I need to stress, this is not what God does. Right? So God does not look at you and your sin and then say, 
Again? You did it again? It's that same sin. The one you know is wrong. How many times has that been? How many years has it been? And how many second chances do you think you're going to need? I've lost count of how many you've had already. Clearly, something isn't right. This isn't working out the way I expected. That's enough. No more. It ends here. No. No. This is not what God says. His patience with you does not wear out. See, when he called you before the creation of the world, he sent his son in appearance of a man, and he was flogged and beaten, and he was derided and humiliated and spat upon. His hands and his feet were pierced by nails, pinning him to the cross, where he suffered and died to pay the penalty for all of my sin and all of your sin. Yes, all of them, the big ones and the little ones, all the ones that you know and all the ones that you don't, all the rotten things that you've done and all the good you didn't do. All the ones you did in the past, all the ones you're yet to commit today, and all the ones that you're going to commit in the future. His patience does not run out. Now you may say, but how can you be so sure? Well, that's an easy one. We missed a verse when we read from 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Let's read there again. It says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul or mind and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. He will do it. It's not up to me. It's not up to you. As surely as he sent Christ once for all time to die for sin, he will then present us blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will do it. His patience doesn't run out. So he is patient with us when we are weak. He's patient with us when we are idle. He's patient with us when we are timid or faint-hearted. And he's patient with us when we pass judgment instead of warn. When we rebuke or belittle instead of encourage. And when we ignore or hinder instead of help. Therefore, brothers and sisters, loved by God, be patient with everybody. Let's bow our heads and come to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your Son.
so undeserving to us who by nature are rebellious people. Thank you for the grace and the mercy you've shown us. Thank you for your patience, which does not run out for those who are yours. And Heavenly Father, we pray for those who are here who do not know you, who still live as rebels to your reign and your rule. Oh Lord, please extend your patience with them so they may come to an understanding of Jesus Christ and come to serve him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.